1: And uh, we have an awesome uh, media partner, Blockchain Radio, where you can catch this recording on afterwards. And you can also catch our YouTube YouTube channel, excuse me. Uh, And today's topic is all about CBDCs, aka central banking, digital currencies, and stable coins. And while the two can have like their own separate discussions because they're whopping topics, I think they go obviously hand in hand. So we decided to create one whole entire segment. And with us we have Kevin Marabi from Stable Tech and uh Sal Ternulo, right? Am I pronouncing that right? Ternulo. Ternello,
0: the close, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, Sal Turnello from KPMG. Uh Kevin, Sal, go ahead and introduce yourself so we can start with Kevin and then Sal, you can take the stage.
2: Yeah, uh I am Kevin Marabi. Uh I am CEO of a company called Wealthchain, uh, which is coordinated with a couple other companies in the Tezos space uh, through the Tezos Stablecoin Foundation and the Tezos Stable Technologies LTD. Uh, that's a decentralized project uh, that has to do with uh, three main areas. Uh, one is stable coins, assets, what we're going to probably talk most about today. Uh, and then the others are uh, transactions through Tezos Exchange, Tezex.io. And I feel like kind of it's all culminating toward uh, uh, is building out this part for the Tezos DeFi space that's lending. Uh, and that's Tezos.finance, Tezos Finance, or Tezfin, we call it. Uh, so that'll be the the big project for uh, Q1 of uh, 2021. Uh, and we just announced last week that we added our second stablecoin, that's uh, EtherTez or ETH-TZ, uh, that to accompany our first stablecoin, which was USDTZ, the first USD stablecoin on Tezos. Uh, and any day now, we'll be launching TezX Bridge, uh, and that would uh, enable uh, very uh, less frictionful transactions between erc20 tokens and those stable coins and, and eth itself to these stable tes coins uh, eth tes and usd tes and more that will come later so
1: cool and, and what are you drinking coffee show us show us because you're you're no well, now it's just a little milk in it but fine. All right. <laughs> I'm fancy nice. mm. oh fancy yeah. okay. Sounds it's
2: not instant a- coffee it's not it's not your uh, Keurig cups <laughs>
0: you, you quality yeah. press.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's a uh, French. Uh, you got to wrap, right? Nice.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Adam. And and uh, appreciate everybody jumping on and taking the time to connect today. Um, so I'm over at KPMG, co-leading our work around crypto and digital assets. Um, I've been here for two and a half years. Prior to that I was at State Street. Um, In an emerging technologies role focused on everything emerging tech for them, which was robotics, public cloud adoption at the time, um, enterprise applications, largely on Fabric and Chain.com and early CORDA implementations. Um, But our work over at KPMG now is focused largely on crypto um, and increasingly over the last 18 months on central bank digital currencies and stable coins. Um, And we've had, you know, especially over the past six months, just to complete pivot in terms of the dynamic around both of those conversations Um, obviously being a large big four firm we serve a number of traditional financial institutions payment service providers um, and in critical market infrastructure whether that's regulatory or supervisory or whatever it might be Um, and so it's it's interesting to see you know kind of where we stand at the end of this year, and, and looking at a number of the different projects that we're involved with, and what the forward outlook for Q1 and Q2 looks like, which is exciting um, and uh, and I think a testament to a lot of really really hard work that a number of different product technology companies and organizations building, like Kevin and team, um, so it, it'll be a it'll be an interesting and exciting start to 21. Um, but looking forward to the conversation today with everybody.
1: Awesome! And just so we dive right in, I want to start by reading some headlines that I came across that have been announced across different publications over the last few months because I think they're super critical and understanding. Because we have a mix of people listening, right? Experts, the people who are just learning about CBDCs and stable coins and and all that. But uh, news came in today actually from the block that the Swiss Swiss National Bank and the operator of the Swiss Stock Exchange are actually looking to test a wholesale CBDC with commercial banks backed by its own reserves, okay? Coindesk reported earlier this month that Citigroup CEO Michael Corbott uh, said his bank is helping governments around the world in creating CBDCs. The Block reported that the, that the Bank of France is experimenting with CBDCs. Decrypt reported that payment giant Visa has proposed a method for offline digital currency payments. Even the US Federal Reserve has published several statements around CBDCs So they're well aware of what's happening and what's going on. And uh, this is one that I actually discovered today, which is actually most interesting to me, pretty funny, uh, payments.com reported a few days ago that the Bahamas has launched the digital sand dollar, right? So a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, countries, states, uh, financial institutions at large are experimenting with this, right? So it's a thing it's present. It's here to say, but I guess. And feel free, Kevin or, or Sal, to jump in. Why? Why? What's the excitement behind this? Why is this so critical? Uh, and picking up so much, so much steam between different centralized banks and in really large financial institutions. And Sal, you, you can take the lead. Kevin, take the lead. Go for it. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of reasons that uh, those building these projects could sell the the governments, those respective governments, on, um, but it's really a combination of things. Uh, you know, over the years, more and more government officials have started to learn, okay, this is what blockchain is, this is why it's better for record keeping, if nothing else, my, you know, it's more secure and all that stuff. But, you know, there's still a big uh, gap between that and using it for any uh, government purposes, just like there was with internet initially. Uh, but then it's like, oh no, now it's obvious. And then it just kept increasing over time. Um, but uh, really looking at, the numbers and the financial incentives uh, over this last year, uh, particularly by mid-2020, uh, the proof of concept, if you will, of DeFi being the, the future of the next five years uh, is pretty well established. You know, uh, it, it grew very strong, uh, in a very strong way over time over the last year. It's continuing to, you know, break new records and uh, proven, uh, break new barriers. But it, even up until, uh, uh, I think, yeah, June 1st, uh, or maybe the, just the last day of May, uh, total value locked in DeFi was in the millions still. Uh, it, then it hit the billions. Uh, and then now we're looking at, what did we peak at like 15 point something billion dollars? Uh, like the the ramp up was just so quick and it, it seems to be, sustaining itself and not only that, but implying that this is just the beginning. So, uh, you know, and and the growth had been anticipated by growth in stable coins um, and uh, building those assets. So now if you're an independent government and these agencies that are exploring different uh, uh, stable uh, CBDC opportunities, um, and by the way, those that you mentioned, those headlines you mentioned, what do you also see accommodating, uh, like who they're exploring those opportunities with, Tezos, side note. Not to say that's all they're looking, but it's it's significant how they those two interoperate uh, and have been. Uh, But the but also it's how can you compete on any global market uh, if you're a government and you're you're a central reserve bank uh, or you're a treasury department of those uh, central banks you You have to compete in the commercial and investment uh, finance world. Uh, and if this is obviously going to be a significant future of it, uh, and all the other signs we can talk about and sit here all day talking about like PayPal adding it and oh such and such might add it soon we've been we can say that every day for the last ten years, we've been talking about stuff like that. but but really, now it's like like the proof is in the numbers. Um, so now it's like, okay, we can either be take our time and just get more confirmation of this as we have been doing and just again and again, get more and more confirmation and realize we're behind, or we can be ahead of it. Let's get started now. So I think that's what the, the smart strategic governments and, and central banks are starting to do. Um, when you, just like a mid cap or small cap investment firm is going to look at crypto before the Goldman Sachs of the world's because you're, you're more scrappy at
0: that point. You have more of an upside.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Sal. I see you nodding your head quite a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, uh, I think it's an interesting point in terms of like the wake up calls, and I think they're coming not only from the true transformation of finance and, and how the DeFi space is playing out, but real or perceived threats from a competitive perspective and effectuating monetary policy within jurisdictions and the ability to to influence um, the, you know, your position within a global trade system. Um, so, like, the conversation always central centers on the dynamic of China and the digital yuan and the implications, and I think there's been, you know, a lot of overhype in some context over the potential disruption of the USD on a short run basis, just given how entrenched in the system it is and what it looks like to unravel that. Um, but I think those those what I would say are more perceived threats on the competitive nature with the you know with the central bank's ability to influence um, policy. And then the second angle that I think is is very real and that is to Kevin's point, been proven over and over is the ability of blockchain to just tr- fundamentally transform how existing existing payment rails work um, and doing so at a far more effective efficient frictionless way um, and i think that's you know been proven in in many different implementations today i think a lot of the reports um you know coming back to some research we did with the block over the summer like almost every report coming out of um, you know the the 2020 2019 research time frame was pointing to clear operational efficiencies um, and, you know, limitations as it related to privacy and other considerations that were not actually limitations, but more so impediments and problems to be solved for um, along the way. So, you know, I I guess those are kind of the angles that we're seeing on the central bank side. And then on the institutional side, it's more so, you know, how do we think about what is the impact to our position in the You know, financial market infrastructure of the world. If different, if different types of CBDCs evolve, Um, and so organizations are building scenarios and plans to deal with multiple different outcomes. To say, you know, if the private sector drives stablecoin adoption, there is no USD CBDC. The Fed doesn't make progress. What's that look like? There's also the world that says the Fed goes all the way to the, you know, way to the edge and actually builds a retail CBDC based on some of the work. Uh, with the dci and and some of the bitcoin developers that they've hired there Um, so you know organizations on the private sector side in my mind are really thinking about how does this play out in three to five different scenarios that have varying ranges of probability and likelihood and how do we build a strategy that's effective and can can deal with you know however um, these different dynamics play out
1: sure so i guess the takeaway is to, to just to make a more modern Paperless economy, right? That is even more prevalent, even more uh, evident during this pandemic, right? In all the stimulus checks that have been distributed and whatnot. So, I'm curious, Sal. You guys work a lot on the enterprise side, obviously, right? What What does the uh, the product stack look out look like right now, and and how is that kind of playing out?
0: Yeah. So I, it's a It's a good question. And it's, I think, in the last year, a major and marked difference in terms of, like, maturity of the space um, is the fact that a number of different organizations and product companies have gone through the cycles with early pilots and experimentation with central banks and have refined product technology stacks that serve either wholesale or retail implementation models, which um, often does not, at this point, focused on the ledger system. Like, there's there are obviously successful pilots on now three primary permissioned ledger systems and obviously also grav- gravitation towards permissionless adoption, Tezos being in the conversation um, frequently when we're, we're having these discussions. Um, so, it, you know, our point of view, and, and again, the, the views I share today are mine, but kind of where we're coming from is thinking, based on the work that's been done in early implementations, we'll probably continue to see progression on the permission blockchain side using Fabric, Quorum, Corda, um, from the the vendors that are driving those products technologies um, around the underlying ledger. And in the future, we'll probably see a gravitation towards permissionless networks. It's a proving point, and I think once we see a tip and, and some central banks actually start actively Um, building on a permissionless protocol and using that live. And maybe Kevin could correct me if that's happening today and I haven't seen it. Um, You know, I think we still think that's several years out.
1: I saw you smirking for a second. What do you know that we don't? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about Everything I
2: hear is is the same when it comes to uh, the central bank digital currency, which is that there are explorations going on. I think when it comes to, because there are like two sides to this. It's like there are, we think of governments, we think of like their adoption and embrace and like with central bank digital currencies and we think of their regulation and how much they're gonna hold uh, things back or doing so unknowingly. Um, Both are exploratory in the end because they're afraid to jump too fast, too quickly. Uh, But then it just comes to the point of like cost benefit. It's like, okay, even if there's a 5% chance that like there's an opportunity here. We're we're a central bank, we're a central uh, 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 federal reserve or something, it's like, how much of our budget are we gonna commit to being prepared at ahead of this so that we actually come through it in the right way? Um, But then it's like, at what point it's like, okay, now we're gonna act on the recommendations because this is right. How do we know that? Maybe it is right for the moment. And then things change, you know, like you need leadership that's also very much coming from this. Um, that understands how it works. Uh, so I, I don't know, which at this point it's like, unless Andrew, Andrew Yang becomes, you know, treasury secretary or no, uh, chairman of the Fed. Like, I don't really see <laughs> that happening too soon. Um, they wanna let things prosper. They wanna let things kind of grow on in the independent private sector end. But like, they're watching that just like, like as a, as a trial study, right? Like wh- why not watch that in these little micro economies that are independent, of our federal bubble, uh, which is very consequential to all of our careers as politicians and uh, you know, government workers and everything um, and to the country and, you know, what if there's no turning back on this? We wanna get it right. I don't think we got it right any other time in our history when we altered our currency. Uh, so how do we know we're gonna get it right this time? Um, so like, you know, there's that kind of here uh, and just inheriting the problem, um, which is always the case that uh, stymies a lot of uh, progression on a, on a federal level. Um, uh, despite how how you know progressive certain uh, jurisdictions can be, um, but you know, so we'll see. We'll see how so, it goes. I, so I've seen the same headlines for those same countries since like like the the spring. You know, yeah. I'm just like okay, well, what else? Where where are you going with it?
1: Right. So you guys kept name dropping Tazos, obviously in the in the development mix, right? And different different currencies that these institutions are are looking at right? Why? And, and, I, and I ask this as like, a, as a person stepping outside of the crypto space to which I live and breathe every single day, right? But why, why Tezos? Why is Tezos that one thing that a lot of these institutions, Sal, that you mentioned, that there's been development around Tezos and Kevin, you're seeing being like a Tezos, uh, a Tezos, I want to say like positive freak, right? You have the poster <laughs> in the background, you're building on Tezos. What is it about Tezos that, is so interesting to these institutions.
2: Uh, I wrote about this, uh, uh, like in 2019, that was like my biggest article was why financial institutions left Tezos, they just might not know it yet. Uh, And really, I mean, I think I can even reduce what I said back then. So just with more than anything else, uh, it's it's the on-chain governance. It's the knowledge that this thing, will, this organization, this community, this connection of developers and nodes, uh, this code base and the applications, of course, built on top of it, uh, they won't be at risk because there's some risk or by extension of the risk of uh, uh, hard forking the network, hard forking the blockchain. Because even if it's just like a few developers here fork and move on and that becomes a, some other thing. Well, sometimes the whole trajectory of your blockchain project depends on a couple developers, you know? And if, if it's something it, like so weighty that they're willing to hard fork, then maybe that shows problems with the underlying blockchain. So this is, um, you know, it, it makes the whole asset volatile to build on top of uh, a hard fork prone blockchain. Um, and there's, it's very difficult to mitigate that risk and at the same time say, no, no, that's what democracy is. No, it's more just like there's no government. and anything goes, you can do whatever you want, which is a good thing, first of all. Fragmentation hard is a good thing uh, because it, it does have some benefit of uh, uh, spurring off innovation in innovation areas that wouldn't otherwise prosper. Um, it allows for that independent initiative, uh, but it's also the most volatile turnover-y uh, uh, know uh more prone to not lasting than anything else but on the other end of that just like in every industry like uh our our smartphones uh, we have you know like an ios ecosystem uh something counter to the fragmentation prone uh system which would be android in this analogy uh and it's like and there's a trade-off there it's like but there's some the good part of it is that it's this united ecosystem that can uh move together now as opposed to being controlled by a single company it's nonetheless more democratic because any baker any validator of the network can propose a protocol upgrade you know change the whole identity of the blockchain right uh and people can vote on it they can uh discuss it in a democratic fashion there's an exploration period where it runs on test net and then ultimately a general vote with all the bakers um and you know it's not just yes and proposals can be rejected as well but a person who puts out a proposal for a protocol upgrade that gets rejected is not really in a position to hard fork. Just like somebody who loses an election or a policy proposal isn't going to break their, you know, their, you know uh, association with the United States and secede uh, their territory. Uh, it's, it's just part of the democratic process. You know, if you believe you're right and your protocol proposal was rejected, well, then uh, history will show that and then you'll have gained political credibility uh, to fight the next day, uh, so there, there's some capital there that that exists and keeps going uh, no matter what happens. Um, so, but really, Tezos is the only thing that does that. It's and those that are trying to do some sort of an on-chain governance system or, or claiming that, uh, I feel like they're they're missing the point in that it's not really done, like in, in necessarily democratic fashion. So. Um, So that uh, that the strength and the growth uh, and the largeness of the Tezos community right now um, and going forward, uh, you know, creates a sense of network effects in that like you wouldn't you wouldn't hard fork it or or do a new on shade governance thing because that's kind of the point like it that it's all united in one ecosystem. So it's like, I don't know if Ethereum is going to be around and be the Ethereum of I know today, tomorrow I'm a financial institution, but I know Tezos is going to be Tezos Um, That is I think underlies everything else because even if you were to say, well, this technology isn't there yet, like it's on Ethereum and that thing isn't there like it's on Ethereum. Um, you know, we couldn't say there are many things Tezos has that Ethereum doesn't, but the point is that can change because of the on-chain governance, that can change. Uh, and not at the, the will of one person or a group of people or people who are just sort of backward, you know, backend influential in what they see as a democratic system. This is actual democracy. Um, and it keeps getting more decentralized. The protocol proposals are coming from more groups uh, and you know working together. And we're getting more efficient at it too. You know it used to take like six months for another protocol upgrade. Now we we you know did the delphi Delphi upgrade and then now we're jumping right into ETO. Um and we're in the middle of the Edo vote right now. So um, it's uh, it's pretty cool that uh, you know and, and I think more and more people are seeing that over time, and then that just keeps the network effects going.
1: Yeah, I Sal, I see you nodding your head, smirking. Well, I feel like you have something to add to that.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I I think Kevin's perspective on Tezos in terms of adoption and inclination is going to be far closer than mine. Um, you know, naturally being at KPMG, our, our viewpoint on the enterprise institutional side is a little bit, you know, more conservative just based on the nature of organizations that we work with, us being one of those. Um so, you know, the, the only thing that I would say is in, the, in my purview of kind of the, the Tezos discussions has been on the product technology side from the organizations that are building, in some cases, ledger agnostic approaches, but with a strong affinity and inclination towards Tezos on a forward basis. Um, and I know that some of those product technology companies have deep roadmaps and pipelines with central banks doing largely um, continuation of expo- exploratory work, but some pivots towards produ- productionalization. Um, so, you know that that's the angle through which I've I've seen Tezos is on the the, the technology product side serving central banks and Tezos being part of that conversation. Um, but I would say that the the viewpoint that I painted before in terms of timelines for permissionless blockchains and central bank digital currencies is you know, was aggressive, if anything, I think realistically, we're on a five-year run until we see that type of real experimentation in a meaningful way. Um, and it would still only at that point be experimentation. That My personal view is probably more a decade away from having central bank digital currencies operate on permissionless public networks, if they ever go that way. Mm-hmm. I think it'd likely be a hybrid implementation model where they own and govern their ledger system within you know, node infrastructure that they control within that banking system um, and then can probably write or interact with public chains to leverage the immutability and state functions of those networks. But um, even maintaining a higher degree of governance over critical functions like minting and burning um, is something that, you know, I I think is going to continue to be a requirement of the central banks in the future. Um, And the governance piece will determine, you know, how far governance comes on public networks will determine, the likelihood of central banks to use them, if they can effectively govern and control all of the facets of the system that they need to. Um, but I think right now, they feel a lot more comfortable, obviously, given the state of adoption and the the ledger systems and implementations that people are pursuing uh, with permission chains. So. Hmm.
1: Interesting and this kind of like. Obviously dives into the stable coin side of thing, both topics, like I said, in the beginning, go hand in hand. Right. So I, I kind of want to dive into that side considering the time we have left. So obviously stable coins, they can be a discussion uh, focused on volume growth, use cases. We can, we can dive into that, but I, I want to talk more, Kevin, you talked more about the DeFi projects happening. Right. And mm-hmm. you also recently made headlines with stable tech in, in decrypt. Was it this week, last week? yeah last week, last week. tell yeah. us tell us more about that yeah. uh, uh before i kind of dive into various other topics
2: yeah one more one more uh just to put a turn in the cbdc stuff uh, that i was on just before i forget the uh like i would say look at the small like island countries to be the first ones to adopt the ones who have the lowest at risk um and just like they're so much more nimble they can try this stuff out and they have more upside from you know those who walk in and say hey let's do it uh like yeah sure why not and then that'll be like a test run i think for larger and larger nations before necessarily france or germany or the united states will start doing it that's
1: Aka okay, the bahamas
2: yeah yeah but even the bahamas might wait so, so yeah. like, wait for like the marshall islands or micronesia or um you know one of the m's islands yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, um, so yeah, Ether, t- so yeah, we have, a uh, so stable Tez uh, is the family of assets, these te- st- uh, Tezos stable coins. Uh, the first of which uh, came out in May uh, was USDTES. Uh, and this is all built on the Tezos standard, that's FA. You have ERC standard, usually ERC20 standards on Ethereum. On Tezos, it's FA. Uh, fa 12 is pretty dominant. Now we're moving towards uh, FA-2. Uh, and these are all backwards compatible with each other. So, um, yeah. So, uh, but EtherTES is the second coin. Um, and that's going to enable trading on the same systems uh, that USDTES has traded. Dexter, Dexter.exchange, uh, and QuipuSwap.com, uh, which is uh, coming out. Uh, should be That should be any day now as well. Uh, yeah, they've been going through a security audit. And, uh, that's wrapping up. So that'll be exciting to see two, two exchanges um, on Tezos finally. Uh, and it's way more than just the sum of its parts. It's like they, they interact with each other in a way that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so EtherTES, it's ETH-backed. Um, uh, and uh, you, know, you deposit, you mint your ETH, uh, eth by depositing ETH. And then uh, it's this, the minteries, which are t- trusted Tezos bakeries that have these stores to, to, to mint. Uh, that are facilitating it. Uh, they'll also be supplying to TezX Bridge, which will bridge between ERC20 tokens and FA12 tokens, or FA tokens, um, and as well as ETH to, to eth Tez. So that'll be the way that most people get it um, on, on a primary level. Um, and then take it to Kripus swap or take it to Dexter Exchange, uh, add to a liquidity pool, which is uh, the first yield option out there on Tezos DeFi right now. Um, so uh, and yeah, that, that's been actually growing a lot too, the XTZ usd TES liquidity pool. Um, and so we'll have a XTZ ETH TES liquidity pool and you'll be able to trade between XTZ and ETH uh, with the existence of that pool. Um, or if you're bullish on both or you wanna hedge your bets on each other, then it's probably a good idea to, to buy an equal amount of both and put them in a the liquidity pool. Cause even if you get in permanent loss, you're, yeah, you're up in one or, like you want to pull out in the middle of a inter- permanent loss, but if you believe they're they're both going to be traded against each other a lot, then I would say hold on to it, keep it in the liquidity pool, uh, and then you'll accumulate a lot in um, uh, fees, uh, if uh, revenue fee revenue, um, and then of course uh, you know USD Tez and ETH, so you can just uh, long or short the price of ETH to US dollar, um, and we'll be following up with BTC tes soon, uh, even though there is a TZ BTC out there, um, but that's not associated with us. Uh, Gold Tez, and that'll start the minerals family, uh, as well as Euro Tez. So um, if you want to see them all, they're at uh, StableTez.com right now. Um, but yeah, yeah. So if you haven't tried Dexter Exchange, I'd say go do it now. Uh, well, not now, but after this. Yeah. Uh, Dexter Exchange. Yeah. Go, and then there are yeah, on a couple Yeah, I'll On a mobile, you can get, uh, get a Magma wallet. So as you watch this, you can just go on your mobile device and get a magma wallet as well and then that already has dexter integrated in it so uh like things easy that's relatively new as well so cool um, being a lot, early a enough,
1: lot of updates a lot of new things um yeah I hope the I... rap btc was the one that i guess i was referring to that made most recent headlines so congrats on that um and ether test not RAP BTC. ether test excuse me excuse yeah RAP-Eath, i was I guess. imagining it but said it differently yeah thank you okay so okay so stable coins uh obviously picked up a lot of steam uh in terms of usability this past summer with DeFi summer right and all these different uh interest rate interest generating protocols and the yield farming and all these other clickbait buzzwords that occurred over the last few months right but one of the most interesting and most compelling stories that i've come across actually came out today that i i want to read and share with everyone um, and, and this kind of involves Argentina's financial crisis and how its locals kind of want something linked to the US dollar and are looking for ways to safeguard the value uh, that they currently own from the inflation that's occurring, right? Which is actually increasing at a whopping rate of 70% within the last 18 months, okay? So, actually, what they're doing is because they're only permitted to buy uh, at, a, at a maximum of $200 from more official channels, that uh, $200 as an USD, right? Um, they're also being taxed on that 65%. So they're leveraging all these uh, Argentinian based exchanges to purchase DAI, leverage DAI as a form of currency, right? And exchange between one another, which is a real tangible use case that you're seeing in, in foreign countries, right? Obviously this isn't something that's gonna be happening in the US anytime soon, because Argentina's economy is not as broken as the US economies, or at least not yet depending on with all these, these stimulus bills and whatnot. Um, but talk to me more about these, these more mainstream use cases, more of these compelling use cases. And Sal, I kind of want to hear from you what you guys are also doing on the enterprise side, because I know you guys also released, um, what's it called, KPMG Chain Fusion, right? And I don't know if the two are interlinked because you guys are working on different public or private chains, kind of tell me more about that and where stable coins come into the play.
0: Yeah, happy to do that. Um, and Chain Fusion is related on the enterprise side, okay. like integrated in, in context and theory um, to support stable coin adoption as well, but focus primarily on crypto. Um, so, you know, as we look at the stablecoin space, space, the, the move that we're seeing is largely from and, and the, you know, the use case that you painted out, I think is a great retail-centric case based off of geopolitical and economic considerations in a specific country the narrative in argentina and and venezuela has played out in in different ways and in certain um you know over the past um four years it's been in the spotlight specifically in venezuela and i think that's going to be a continued dynamic Um, on the enterprise institutional side the adoption curve is really looking like specifically at um, you know, how do we optimize existing payment rails if I'm a payment service provider and using stable coins? I think the visa news for the integration with USDC is a huge moment in terms of what the forward outlook for adoption may look like. Um, and I think there's a lot of organizations in that payment space that are thinking about, you know, what are the implications of stable coins on my business? And how do I prevent disruption, but also potentially lean in and think about, Know how my market position might effectuate a strategy to participate in the space um, in a more meaningful and innovative way. Um, but in the context of Chain Fusion, which you pointed to on the backside of this, it's a crypto and digital asset accelerator suite that we've built on top of different product technology companies solving point pieces of problems that institutions and enterprises face when they're adopting digital assets. Um, so we've integrated, have a strategic alliance with Coin Metrics, which is a leading data company for network market um, and index and reference rates. If you don't follow Coinmetric's state of the network newsletter, it's, in my opinion, one of the best independent data-driven perspectives on network conditions and capital flows and things that are happening that you can kind of scrape from a public data perspective. Um, So I'd recommend taking a look at that. But we also have partnerships on the custody technology side, as well as on the on-chain analytics side. So Um, really pulling together in a consistent architecture all of the core components that you need to spin up a regulated business interacting with digital assets um, and building on top of established, mature third-party product tech. So we're not trying to go and compete directly with Unbound and Firebox and Curve on the MPC custody space. We're integrating those technologies underneath the chain fusion architecture to serve our clients based on their preference for you know, which might be driven from a number of different uh, for a number of different reasons.
1: Got you. Now. Do you guys envision these central banks adopting their own stable coins, like creating their own stable coins or kind of leveraging DAI or USDC to to, you know, leverage the power of the transparency, the the low cost? Or were they just create something out of thin air? Thin air being create something of their own.
2: Um, I think. Uh... I mean, it comes down to the use case being mostly institutions over the next uh, several years, at least, and not not because like they couldn't be used in for like you know getting your money, getting your coffee at Starbucks, but that there would be middleware to take care of that step so that the recipient gets paid in whatever type of asset, uh, in whatever form they want, uh, but the the uh, sender can pay and get something debited out of their crypto account, um, which, so everybody gets what they want in that. And then, so so that's been around for a number of years, the ability to do that. It's just that we haven't seen that integrate so much yet with like Square or or those, but once that, or Verifone, but once that is the case, I mean, um, yeah, it's being used. Uh, but the, Like we, we already have like a digital currency, like it's called the currency we already have. Uh, like we don't, when you move money from someone's Venmo account to another, it's not like somebody on the back end is taking money out of a vault, you know, with money, with your name on it to like somebody else's vault there. It's not happening. It's just a, it's a, it's always been a ledger. It's just, this is a blockchain based ledger. Um, so. Um, I think this is like how I explained it. I think to my parents that they finally understood, they're like, wait, so do I have to like pay for stuff in a new way or what? Yeah. It's like, no, no, you're just going to do what you've been doing. Nothing's going to change on your end. It's going to be the same digital ways you communicate. It's just the stuff underneath is going to be different, but you're not going to care about that anyway. They're like, Oh, okay. And then they just start thinking about every digital, every technology transition that was modular that they had ever seen in their lifetimes, which was a million. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. TVs were, you know, had a, were deep once now they're flat. Okay. It's still right. TV. Right? Right. Uh, what the hell do I care? I'm still looking at this side of it.
1: Right. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. That's a good point. So I want to, I want to dive into the QA for a moment uh, and this one specifically for style. Okay. So which is getting more traction or speed? And I'm assuming it's on the side of stable coins, the institutional or retail banking side of things. So
0: on the, I think there, so until recently, until maybe the last 12 months, it had largely been driven through a lot of sophisticated crypto native organizations that were trading, making markets, starting to contribute to the rise of kind of the summer of DeFi. Um, And so you saw the massive growth, 500% in terms of stable coins issued this year, um, going, you know, leading over 25 billion now. and then I think on the institutional side, it's really just been more recent. Again, I come back to the the Visa and USDC headline, like that's a significant moment in terms of alignment and movement forward. Um, and I think the PayPal move in partnership with Paxos, um, providing, and I know that Kevin pointed to that everyone points to that, but in terms of making this real for your parents, like you know the number of people that I've engaged with over the past six weeks that know how to use PayPal, can operate in PayPal, don't have to go through a KYC verification process again for any other application and or any other download like the easiest user adoption experience is taking something they have today, using it exactly the same way with the exact same experience but allowing different optionality and benefits to the user. And so, you know, that Venmo PayPal UX dynamic is going to be a significant driver in terms of the adoption curve. And that's going to come largely on the retail side. So I think now we've kind of hit this point in, in the maturation of the space where there's significant institutional adoption, and we can talk about that all day. It's the premise of our business, but the retail side is explosive. And that's not only evidenced by the edge of exploration in DeFi, but by adoption of fintech companies serving, you know, generations outside of those that may, you know, align most closely historically with crypto.
1: Interesting. Uh, before, before we wrap up, I want to kind of give you guys a chance to say uh, more about your companies. Where can we learn more? Where can we find you online? Uh, we can start with Kevin and Sal and then go to Sal. Kevin, go ahead.
2: Yeah, you could uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at uh, KMurabi. Uh, just go by my name. Uh, stable.tech is where most uh, the projects are. Well, that's kind of the gateway to all the projects we've been uh, working on um and uh, uh wealthchain.io is my company's site uh yeah um eth is coming out uh well it's out now uh will start to see stuff populate with it this week um and then uh TES is always available uh if you want to mint eth go to mintory uh, mintery and you can go to i'll put the link in there slash. oh okay yeah, you can go there, and then uh, find a mentor, uh, use them. Uh, they're good if you if you want to get a significant uh, portion of the liquidity pool on Dexter or Quipu Swap. Uh, that's who you go to. Um, yeah. so. Cool.
1: Thank you, Sal.
0: Awesome. So easiest way on anything work related is LinkedIn. Sal, so turn all of the names there. You guys can can follow up and message me if you're interested in connecting. Um, And then obviously at KPMG pushes everything for coordinated homepage. If you guys wanna dig into the stuff that we put out on crypto thought leadership, central bank, digital currency, stable coin adoption, um, all the stuff on chain fusion is there, all the stuff on our relationship with coin metrics and the co-developed product that we're we're building, um, which is a selfless show. I think we're super excited about what we'll announce in January. Um, It's gonna be a major move in terms of looking at networks in real time, understanding, you know, risks as it relates to, um, you know, mining pools as it relates to just behavioral conditions around the consensus process um, and understanding what is essentially settlement risk on public blockchains, but doing that proactively and in real time. Um, so more to come on that in, in early January, but everything's on the KPMG homepage. And again, for me, LinkedIn is easiest.
1: Perfect. And guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for, uh... For, for sharing your knowledge, for for discussing more about stable coins, more about CBDCs. Uh, and before I let you guys go, for everyone that's tuning in for the first time, uh, I want to kind of take you in through the next part of Blockchain and Booze, which is actually my personal favorite, uh, the networking session. So before I let Sal and Kevin uh, break off. Right now, I'm going to end presentation mode and we're all going to distribute to these really colorful tables where we'll be able to bounce from chair to chair and uh, meet for everyone that's been tuning live to Blockchain and Boost today. But before we do, you got to make sure you have your cameras on and your mics on the second I end this presentation mode. So cameras on, mics on. Otherwise, you're going to be really confused. Guys, thank you so much and uh, we'll see you next week which is going to be the last blockchain and booze of the year. So we're going to do a really fun one with Alone, Joseph uh, and the Draper Gorin home team. We're going to do a holiday inspired one. We want to hear from you guys. So be sure to come back next week uh, and uh, we'll see you soon. Sal, Kevin, thank you so much.
0: Thanks, you. Kevin.
1: This has been a production of Industry Pods in association with Evergreen Podcasts Network. Hear this and other industry pods
0: at evergreenpodcasts.com, your favorite podcast app, or listen at
1: industrypods.com for your number one virtual conference podcast experience.